mini episode 1335 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1335. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And uh, I have a real treat for you today, a fellow FDH Lounge original dignitary. He is our FDH Director of Research, Nate Noy. And if we're talking and it's March, uh, you might have a sense that we're going to be talking about the NCAA basketball tournament, and uh, that is the case. Uh, It's the don't call it March Madness unless you want to get sued by uh, the NCAA and their official corporate uh, sponsors, but... uh, The 2021 NCAA Basketball Tournament uh, taking place exclusively in the state of Indiana. And uh, Nate Noy is here to uh, to break it all down. Suffice it to say, he's done more research and better research than anybody else out there. So with that said, no pressure. Take it away, Nate. (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'd say there's been more research than anybody (laughs) out there. But uh, I tried my best to get my head in the head of the committee and to try to figure out how they were going to approach this tournament. And after the fact, you look at some of the numbers and you look at some of the advantages that are kind of built in inherently to this tournament itself based on the venue, and you can see some things just jump out at you in terms of what the committee wants to happen for this NCAA tournament. Yes, you can. Uh, There's no question about that. Uh, So let's start in the uh, upper left quadrant uh, as per usual here, and this is the, uh, the west region. This year, you have uh, the number one seed overall, Gonzaga. They are trying to become the first team since Indiana in 1976 to go undefeated and win a national championship. And uh, the path that they have, uh, there's some challenges along the way. But uh, one of the, one of the things here, I do think I'm gonna I'm gonna be that guy. I do think they'll be facing a Mac school in the Sweet 16 here because uh, I have the Fighting Bobcats of Ohio getting past the COVID-plagued Virginia Cavaliers. Uh, they are uh, the, the defending national champions, if you will, since we didn't have a tournament in 2020. So my Bobcats will be able to hang their hat on that forever, taking out the defending national champions if that happens. And uh, I've got them playing Creighton in the Sweet 16, but going out to Gonzaga. Ultimately, uh, I've got Gonzaga on the top half of the bracket. I do have another upset on the bottom half. I've got Eastern Washington over Kansas. I think they're going to be facing their own COVID challenges, and I think they can be caught flat-footed. On the bottom half of the bracket here, uh, USC with Evan Mobley is going to be fascinating to watch, but I do have them going out to Iowa. I have Gonzaga over Iowa in the uh, the finals here of the West region. Writ large, Nate, how do you see the West region shaping up? Well, Rick, we, uh, we have a lot of similar thoughts there. Uh, I got to say a few things. First of all, one of the key play, one of the key, um, like the critical point to my to the theory of my bracket this year is that the Big Ten has a significant, I mean, a significant advantage across the board. They've played in the state throughout the year. 
they played at the venues throughout the year. And the thing you have to understand about the venue, especially the dome, especially with the soil, there's no question. And they even in, in the fantasy league now, if it's in the dome, they put a little dome thing in the right-hand corner. Like if it's going to rain, they put a rain if, in regular sports. If it's windy, if it's an outdoor sport, they put wind. If it's in a dome for basketball, they put the dome because you have no idea how statistically significant it is for the shooting percentages in a dome in college basketball, especially Lucas Oil. So in the Big Ten tournament, for the first round, the teams playing in the first round, they shot it. It was 27% this year mm-hmm. from the three-point range, including Iowa, who's one of the better teams in the country. In their first game in the Big Ten tournament, two for 20 from the arc. Right. Okay? They went two for 20. Uh Maryland went 6 for 20. Rutgers went 6 for 23. Indiana went 2 for 16. Have a nice tournament. You're out of here. Rutgers, when they got knocked out, 2 for 11. Illinois barely survived against Iowa with a 2 for 15 performance, but they got out. This It's really, really difficult to adjust for three-point shooting. And these teams know it. The bookmakers know it. The committee knows it. And so what happened in this Big Ten tournament was the longer the teams win, the better they shot from three. Uh, the Buckeyes shot four for 12 in their first game, but by the, the next game they were 11 for 31 to knock out Purdue, and then they beat Michigan by going 12 for 22. Mm-hmm. 12 for 22 is pretty awesome when you figure, when you just saw Iowa go two for 20. Right. So when you're in the tournament, the more you can adjust your shot to that. The one exception to the Big Ten tournament, and this impacts my, impacts my picks as I did this year, uh, Wisconsin came out in game one of the tournament and went 12 for 23 and went 7 for 17 in the second game, shooting four, uh, 19 for 40 over the two games they were in the Big Ten tournament this year. That's 47.5%. They're the one team that didn't get impacted at all by this dome thing. My point is that because of the dome, the teams that are going to have to, the teams that are relying on a three point shot this year in college basketball have a huge disadvantage in the domes. The teams that drive the basket and have a rebounded advantage or drive and get a disproportional number of free throws because they draw fouls when they drive have a huge advantage throughout the entire tournament this year. Mm-hmm. I noticed right before the Final Four of the Big Ten tournament, and I told you at that time, I said Illinois has a huge advantage going forward in these next two games because they shoot less threes, they drive and get way more free throw attempts, and sure enough, they made it through. They beat the Buckeyes, they beat Iowa, they won the Big Ten title. So that's a big factor here. So jumping back to Gonzaga, there's going to be three games of Lucas Oil in the first and second day of this tournament. So one of the first games of Lucas Oil, well, this is the next, the second day, but Oklahoma, Missouri. Mm -hmm. So they're giving Gonzaga's opponent in the second round a game in Lucas Oil in the first round to get kind of acclimated to, I guarantee you, the second round game for Gonzaga is going to be in Lucas Oil. There's There's three games each day in Lucas Oil. The next game in Lucas Oil, Creighton versus UC Santa Barbara. So now, and here's the crazy thing. If you look at the way that the computers rank these teams, the Vegas ranks the teams, they're supposed to be using an S-curve this year. So Gonzaga is the number one overall team on an S-curve, facing them down in the Sweet 16 round should be the 16 team. Understand one would yes. on the S-curve end up playing 16. The four seed would be the 16 overall. The five seed would be the 17 overall. Where their five seed Creighton is the 14 overall, that's not far off, except for the fact they get to play a game in the Dome before they potentially meet them. But the other team they would face, Virginia, who your OU Bobcats are going to have to get by, the defending national champions, as you say, number eight in the country. Mm-hmm. That means it should be facing them in the Elite Eight game, 
not the Sweet 16 game. So now you've got a committee that gave two of the teams they could potentially face the first game and then the second game an already game at Lucas Oil to get them acclimated. And at the same time, giving Virginia sitting there, if you get by your Bobcats, who are very hot, they're sitting at number eight. And probably what happens on round two, Virginia's going to be playing. If they make it, they'll be in Lucas Oil because they're going to do everything they can to make sure Gonzaga gets knocked from this tournament. Because it's not fair what they did to them. As the number one overall seed, the second best team in their bracket should have been Virginia at eight at a two seed. Instead, that's the third best team in their bracket. They still have to beat Iowa. If they get by Virginia and get by a de facto game where they're acclimated against against Missouri, Oklahoma winner, they still got Iowa sitting out there. So in my bracket, Rick, I say with all these things against them, I think Gonzaga has to lose at some point. And I know a disproportional number of people are two to one in Vegas to get to win it all. A lot of people have them. Why wouldn't they? They're a great team. They have one All-American first team and two second team All-Americans. It's an amazing team. I think they go down to Missouri in the, first, in the second round. I get them going out there. Everything else I have is pretty much chalk. I think Virginia uh, beats Missouri to make it to the Elite Eight. I love the USC team. Uh, the Mobley brothers are good. You know, again, we've talked to an All-American there with the one Mobley. I have them facing Iowa. I, I like you. I like Eastern Washington. I think the COVID's really going to put the hurt on Kansas uh, the way they couldn't even step up to face Texas. I don't have them making out of the first round. There's always one of these crazy upsets. This could be the one. I'm with you on Eastern Washington. Uh, so I've got them losing to USC. And I've got you. I've got VCU beating Oregon. Oregon doesn't impress me in any way, shape, or form. They're one of those middle of the road teams. VCU just about beats St. Bonnie. They're one of those teams that really deserves to be there and kind of was a surprise to some people. I think they'll be able to beat Oregon. But Iowa, I like Iowa with Garza. Again, it's like I like a toady before the Big Ten tournament, before I realized what was going on with the Domes. I think Garza's going to do what Dwayne Wade did for Marquette a couple, you know, a decade ago, is put him on his back and get him to the Final Four. So I like Iowa to the Final Four for this bracket. I figured you were going to go Iowa once you said you had Gonzaga going out. That is all very interesting. The only kind of devil's advocate that I'm going to play, and you have very, very good research on Gonzaga there, and I dispute none of that in terms of the obstacles, uh, but you know and I know that the committee loves to play as much as they, they say they're just calling balls and strikes and putting things where they're supposed to be. It's showbiz left and right with them every year in terms of everything that they do. To me, where I look at it is I think they're looking at it like, hey, let's give some suckers an even break because, as you say, Gonzaga is a team for the ages talent-wise. You have Jalen Suggs, who's one of the five super elite players in this country uh, this year. And by the way, only three of them are in the NCAA. Two of them are in the uh, the G League uh, on the Ignite team this year because the G League is starting to pay uh, the top flight players. So, I mean, you've got Suggs, you've got Cade Cunningham, and you've got Mobley, and there's a big line underneath them to everybody else in the country. But like you said, Gonzaga has two second-team All-Americans as well. Uh, I, to me, it's a thing where the committee is just trying to do anything they can to throw obstacles at them. We'll see if they're able to swat them aside or not. To me, I think they're going to be able to swat these obstacles aside, but you got one hell of a clip and save right there. Uh, if you have Gonzaga not even going to the Sweet 16, that is going to be something to, uh, to, to you'll, you'll be talking about that 20 years from now if it happens, Nate. <laughs> right, well, and I mean, the only reason I give Missouri a shot, Rick, their first five games of the season may be five teams during this tournament, including Illinois. Yeah. So there's no question that Missouri team has it in them somewhere. If everything goes right, in a perfect world, acclimated to the Dome, they can win. That's all. Yeah. They have, and like I said to you in a text, 
they have in my mind about a 25% chance to win. Nobody really believes it's that. I think it's around that. And in the brackets, they have maybe 1% to 2% of the people who are going to pick them, probably more like 1%. So really, if you pick them and they win, you're getting 100 to 1. Now, what's the worst they have percentage-wise? 10% at least to win? So you got a 10 to 1 shot, you're getting paid 100 to 1 on something that's 10 to 1. Right. Give me that over in the long run, and I'll be a rich man. So that's why I'll go with Missouri early. Because yeah. I really think the committee stacks a deck against this this team. And you know what? If they make the Final Four, then they absolutely had to have a path that puts them elite Final Four. And, you know, bring on Juwan Howard and his Final Four experience. Uh, he never got one done there. Let's see if he can get it done against his team. So Well, yeah. And that, uh, and that foreshadows the East bracket where I have seen probably more variety coming out of this bracket than all the other ones. Maybe all the other ones combined because... Uh, number one, Michigan, uh, you just don't know if they're going to be fully healthy going into the, uh, the the tournament here. And again, even if they're not, they could still forge a path to the Final Four. Uh, but it, but again, they, they're a team that's either on or off, and you kind of don't know what you're going to get with them. I, I think they are very, very tough to beat, but uh, I have them. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be the guy that uh, picks a number one seed not to make the Sweet 16. I got them bowing out to LSU in round two. I think LSU can get by them. And uh, this is where I think it really, really starts to get interesting because uh, I've got an LSU-Florida matchup setting up uh, the, the, the spot in the Elite Eight, and I got Florida State getting by them. Uh, on the bottom part of the bracket here, uh, again, Alabama being a team that is uh, as dependent on threes as they are, uh, you, you would kind of put that in my head coming into the tournament here that uh, with, with these empty arenas, the sight lines are going to be a little bit different. It's going to be kind of weird for Alabama. Uh, I, I've got them not getting past Texas. Uh, so I've actually got Florida State and Texas fighting it out for a spot in the Final Four. And uh, ultimately, I go with the number four seed, Florida State, uh, to get there. Interestingly enough, uh, when I was filling out a bracket, I noticed Florida State was the number four seed in, I don't know if it was the East bracket last time, but it was the one on the lower left quadrant last time. So Florida State, at least on paper, stays in the same spot that they were in 2019. This time I have them making it to the Final Four. Well, Rick, and that's not a crazy pick either. I mean, they have a staggered number 12 in the country. Mm-hmm. And they get by Michigan, then if, if Texas is there against them, Texas was 18. Yeah. So absolutely would be able to. To beat Texas if they both get to that point. I will say this again, talking about who gets to play in the dome first. Of the teams in this side of the bracket, only one game gets day one in the dome. That's Texas. Mm-hmm. So the clearly wants Texas to be around for a minute. They've got Shaka Smart. That dude's a pure genius. We know this. He's one of the best coaches in the history of basketball. He's a young guy still. Yeah. He's got titles coming his way at some point. We both know this, right? Right. I'm not. This is the year, but they like him. And it's Texas. It's a huge, huge, huge. It's it's one of the brands of college sports because they're so big. Even though their basketball program's not big, and their t- and their football program's still not really where it wants to be. Nobody thinks it's there, but it's still Texas. So when I look at this bracket, I'm with you. LSU, great team. I think they'll give Michigan a heck of a game. You know, they've got future NBA talent down there. Yes. Kids there, they've got some players. 
but I like Juwan Howard's Final Four experience. Uh, they've got a kid again, another All-American from Michigan. Uh, a team loaded with talent. I watched them play the Buckeyes up and down the court. They've got the advantage of having played these games there in Indianapolis. That Basically, it's a home game everywhere, even though it's empty. I like Michigan to, to make it to the Final Four from this bracket. But I do like LSU in the first round. I like Georgetown coming off a, an unbelievable role with Patrick Ewing through the the big, you know, the Big East tournament. Uh, I like them to get by Colorado, but I don't think they're going to get by your Florida State team. Florida State will certainly be able to play Michigan and play them tight, but I do have Michigan winning that game. Down the other part of it, uh, I like BYU to play Texas, but Texas has all the advantages. Uh, I like the fact that Maryland has again played here. They have an advantage against UConn with that, but Bama's too strong for them and too strong for Iona. But with Texas having the advantage of having played and Shaka Smart and the three-point shooting at Texas, Bama's toast at that point. I think Texas plays at Michigan tied as well, but I do have Michigan making it into the uh, actually into the Final Four. I'll tell you what, man. Michigan, they will have earned it based on your scenario. So you got them beating in succession LSU, Florida State, Texas. I mean, that's not the toughest road in the history of college basketball, but any one of those three teams could beat them, and you wouldn't even blink if that happened. So if they can pull that off, if their path is what you say it's going to be, that's an impressive path, Nate. And I like this bracket to hold tight because I think the matchups favor the favorites, except for, again, I think Georgetown is just – they came out of, like, they had a losing record before the Big East Tournament. I don't know how Patrick Ewing split that switch, but he's got them there. And what you see often in teams like this, when they roll through a conference tournament like that, they at least win that first game. Then they might face somebody that's just too strong. So I think that's what happens this year, because Florida State's just too strong. Patrick well, Ewing can't. And the experience was tainted for Patrick Ewing, because in his return to MSG, apparently he was not recognized by security guards, so he kind of got hassled there. I mean, my explanation, Nate, would be he didn't get recognized in MSG because he didn't have Michael Jordan dunking over him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or Reggie Miller shooting one from over him. <laughs> That's right. And he didn't win any titles, but That's right. <laughs> all right, so you've got an all-Big Ten thing going on uh, the left side of the bracket with uh, Iowa and Michigan. I've got uh, Gonzaga and Florida State. We'll see if we agree on either of the next two. We go to the south in the upper right-hand quadrant here, and this is one where uh, it is very, very interesting because you have a Baylor team that uh, really came out of the shoot looking pretty elite at the beginning of the season, and I I just have a feeling they're not going to make it to the Final Four, but in terms of any of the teams that I see being in their path, I don't see anybody potentially being able to stop them until the Elite Eight. I've got them getting past UNC. I've got them getting past Purdue. By the way, I do, uh, call me a cliche, I do have a 12-5 upset. I've got Winthrop over Villanova because I think uh, Villanova is ripe to be uh, taken at this point here, which again makes that uh, second round matchup for Purdue uh, you know, a little bit easier there if it's going to be Winthrop. But I've got Baylor over Purdue to make it into the Elite Eight. On the bottom half of the bracket, uh, this is where you could really get a lot of interesting scenarios. That one, one of the ones that I agonized over the most, believe it or not, anywhere in the bracket was a second-round matchup between Arkansas and Texas Tech. I did end up going with Arkansas by the skin of my teeth, although uh, Texas Tech, and with their uh, pedigree and uh, being a team that I think, that, if I remember correctly, they were in the national championship game in 2019. That's correct. So, yes, they're... They've, they've, they're getting a very, very tough program there. Uh, a battle that we're more used to seeing on the gridiron. I see it happening in the second round here, that interesting home-and-home home that Ohio State and Virginia Tech had some years back. Call this one the rubber match, if you will. 
Uh, Virginia Tech, of course, being the only team to beat the 2014 national champion Ohio State Buckeyes. But I have the Buckeyes avenging that to go up 2-1 in their series cross sports uh, as they uh, win that one to earn a shot with Baylor. And in that game there, and it's, it's interesting because, again, this Ohio State program, you'd think that I'd be a little bit higher on them than I am picking them to go to the Final Four. But it's more so just that I don't see Baylor getting there. And I don't see anybody on the top half of the bracket uh, taking them out. So there's a lot of times where as long as I can make a case for a team, I will. A lot of times I do that when I'm looking at an upset. I don't know that this would necessarily be considered that big of an upset, although Ohio State had to really rally to become a two-seed when it was all said and done. Uh, They had that incredible run in the Big Ten Championship. And again, you don't know exactly which Buckeye team you're going to get. Obviously, I think it's going to be the team that got hot and stayed hot. I have Ohio State over Baylor, and Ohio State as the two seed, making it into the Final Four. What up? Yeah, and I'm with you, Rick. I, I and we're we, again, we got a little bias going on here because of Ohio, <laughs> but Buckeyes have the, the committee wants the Buckeyes. I'll tell you that. Okay, sure. the only thing they did for Baylor is they stuck him in the dome game one, but that's not going to save him because here's the interesting thing. Okay, so you're doing the S curve when you get down to the one seeds. The one seed should get, you know, the number 32 team and the number 33 team. That should be the number one one seed. The second one seed should get the 31 team and the 34, the 30, and the 35. You understand where the one seed should get their team. So the one seeds this year, Michigan got LSU at 28 and and the Bonnies at 40. Gonzaga got Oklahoma at 39 and Missouri at 32. Illinois got LUC at 37 and Georgia Tech at 33. Everything looks kosher, right? Hold on. Who's Baylor get? North Carolina at 20, who just had a heck of a run through the ACC tournament, and Wisconsin at 13. 13, the 13th best team in the country, according to the computer, is sitting on the nine line. The 13th best team in the country, who happened to, in Lucas Oil Field, their first game in the Big Ten tournament, managed to shoot 12 for 23 from three-point line and 19 for 40 over their two games there until they got beat by Michigan. A team the committee thinks, hey, let's give Baylor them in the second round and see how that works out for them. It's insanely, it's insane. Wisconsin's 13th in the country. They have no business on the nine line. They certainly have no business playing Baylor, but that's exactly what this committee did. They they have no love for Baylor. They don't want them to go past the, this round. Um, so we got that working against Baylor. So then you look down. I, I'm with you. I like Winthrop over Nova. I think they, their, their failed performance in the Big East tournament, you know, this the Big East itself, not, not a Power 5 conference tournament anymore. Purdue, they put Purdue. Now, Purdue only had to play one game in the Big Ten tournament because they got beat by the Buckeyes. So Purdue, the home team of the entire tur- tournament this year, they're, they're an Indiana team. They're in Lucas Oil. So they get an extra game in Lucas Oil. So if Wisconsin doesn't beat Baylor, guess what? Now when they play Purdue, Purdue's had an additional game in Lucas Oil to acclimate for the game against Baylor. The committee does not want to see Baylor in the Final Four, I'm telling you. So I have Purdue going up and playing Wisconsin. Again, Wisconsin's 13, Purdue 16. Wisconsin's shown to be better acclimated to play in Lucas Oil than Purdue is. I've got Wisconsin going all the way to the Elite Eight to play the Buckeyes. It's interesting you said the hardest game I had to pick in this entire bracket was Arkansas and Texas Tech in the second round, Rick. I kid you not. I had to go down to the end of the day. I said, you know what? Arkansas is 15. Texas Tech is 22. I'm going to give Arkansas the bump there. I actually have Florida and the Buckeyes. Buckeyes over Florida. 
Buckeyes over Arkansas. Buckeyes over a Big Ten team almost for sure. In my mind, I think that's Wisconsin Buckeyes to the Final Four. All right, so we agree on that one. And, uh, yeah, you uh, I, I guess I stand corrected on Baylor's uh, path. I wasn't as impressed with uh, the path until you kind of laid it out there. So, yes, yeah, so if any of the teams get to Baylor uh, before Ohio State, I won't be as surprised. We go down to the last quadrant here to look at lower right on your bracket, the Midwest. And uh, you've got Illinois as the number one seed. Real interesting potential second-round game uh, in terms of the uh, the Chicago market here because I've got them playing Loyola, Chicago. Uh, good old sister Gene Schmidt, the good Gene Schmidt, if you will. And uh, I, I see that as uh, obviously you – know, You know, God had to make two of everything, right? So <laughs> one good and one bad. As good as sister Jean is, her, her evil twin is out there somewhere. We'll talk about that on the show. <laughs> and I – I shouldn't even mention that a good friend of mine uh, that does some political consulting work for her. Oh, small okay. world, yes, small world indeed. But uh, Loyola, Chicago, yeah, it, it's going to take divine intervention to get that past Illinois. I don't see that happening. What I think is going to be a great second-round game over there, uh, my Tennessee Vols, as much as I'd like to see them getting through to the Sweet 16, uh, Oklahoma State really looking good recently. Like I said, Kate Cunningham, one of the three super elite players in the country. Boy, would he look good in a Cavs uniform next year, just saying. But uh, I've got uh, Oklahoma State getting passed, and that is going to be, I think, a real stumbling block there for Illinois. A really, really, really tough game, but ultimately I have Illinois toughing it out and making it to the Elite Eight. And on the bottom part of the bracket here, uh, really interesting because you, you could make a case for any number of teams here. I've got Virginia or West Virginia uh, toughing it out here, getting past San Diego State. Uh, I'm going for an upset in the second round because I've been reading some interesting things here on some of the potential vulnerabilities of Houston. Not enough so for my hometown Cleveland State Vikings to take them out, but I've got Rutgers over Clemson, Rutgers over Houston, and I'm going to have Rutgers uh, going up against West Virginia here for a spot in the Elite Eight. Uh, ultimately, I don't have Rutgers. I, I don't think it would be credible for me to say that they as a 10 seed would be a team that I would pick to make the Elite Eight. So I've got it being Illinois and West Virginia, and I think that could be one heck of a battle. In the end, Illinois, they've been in this stone. They're one of the very best teams in the country. West Virginia is very sound as well, and not just defensively in the mold of a classic Bob Huggins team, but they've got some variety to their attack. In the end, ultimately, I've got Illinois over West Virginia in a tight one, and Illinois claiming that last Final Four spot. Rick, would you care to guess which team, which game, the committee picked one game from this bracket to give the acclamation to the Dome. Do you care to guess which game that is? Which team gets that? Uh, which which game gets that? Is it Rutgers? No, it's West Virginia. All right. The committee's looking ahead to that Elite Eight matchup. Okay. They're trying to get West Virginia ready for Illinois. That's what's up. Okay. <laughs> but but uh, I, 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 and I don't want Houston anyway. They want to see them go bye-bye. That's another thing. I mean, that's a block for Houston. All of a sudden, West Virginia's acclimated, and they're not. Right. And if they get by Rutgers, who, by the way, is already acclimated. They've already played there. That's they're a right. Big Ten team. I absolutely have them beating Clemson, and they're going to give Houston a heck of a game because they're acclimated and Houston's not. Right. The, the committee's doing this kind of stuff on purpose. So I, I'm, and I, I think Georgia Tech, after making the run they did through the ACC tournament, I picked them over LUC. I know the committee wants LUC there, but Georgia Tech just won the 
ACC tournament, it's hard not to give them one more win. That's why I said about Georgetown, I kind of try to stick with consistent logic in these things. So I gave one to Georgia, Georgia Tech also, but I don't think they can beat Illinois. Right. Um, Tennessee, I, Tennessee, I think, is really a strong team and underrated. I've got them in the Sweet 16. And the thing about Oklahoma State, I remember when O.J. Mayo, I put them in the Final Four, freshman. I expected them to be able to ride into the Final Four. At the end of the day, I said, you know what? This Liberty team is a really good Liberty team, a strong team of, of upperclassmen. I think they can take out Oklahoma State. And so I've got them winning that game. Tennessee making it to play Illinois. Illinois beating Tennessee. Uh, I got San Diego State. I don't know. I was looking. You took West Virginia. I was looking for an upset, too. And this is before I even knew they were going to give West Virginia the acclamation. So I might have to revisit my bracket. But I had San Diego State. Uh, there's a team that's been right around the top 20 all year. Uh, the sixth seed was fair to them. I saw a lot of people thinking they'd be a seven through, through ten. No way. They'd earned the Mountain West Championship in at least a six. I, I, I think they can beat West Virginia. Uh, Rutgers softens up Houston. Houston loses to either San Diego State or West Virginia. Again, I have San Diego State. And I don't think anybody can stop Illinois at that point. Illinois is just too good. They've already run the table here against the best teams in the country. So I have Illinois in the Final Four. CS. I have an all-Big Ten Final Four. I know it sounds crazy, but that's where I'm at this season. And I'll justify that again a little bit in a second when we talk Final Four. Well, uh, wow. I mean, and that is, uh, that's a very interesting uh, gimmick. But uh, if ever there was a year for it to be defensible, it would be this year. because yeah, I, I And it's almost not a gimmick when I give you the sagrins of these four teams I'm picking. It doesn't sound out of the reach of realm possibility whatsoever. Well, they're all very highly seeded. I mean, I'll give you that. I mean, Iowa's a two, Michigan's a one, Ohio State's a two, and uh, Illinois is a one. So uh, it's it's actually uh, it's somewhat it's a little little chalkier than mine uh, because my brackets are generally fairly chalky, but I do have Florida State in there as a four. Uh, I, I I will I will sometimes pick as low as a four. It's unusual for me to pick higher than a four seed to make the final four. So in in looking at this here, uh, again, you, that's it's very interesting to try to gauge uh, if it was Gonzaga, Florida State, Ohio State, Illinois, which of the games would be uh, the, the later game here uh, because they, uh, they they generally try and you know, build, I think, to the, the, the better game ratings-wise. Uh, my guess is it would probably be Gonzaga State, or I'm sorry, Gonzaga, Florida State, because Gonzaga is in pursuit of history if they make it that far. I've got Gonzaga over Florida State. I've got Illinois over Ohio State in a rematch of the Big Ten championship game. And Gonzaga over Illinois in what I think would be a very hard-fought national championship game. You've got Gonzaga going out before the Sweet 16, so obviously your Final Four looks a lot different, at least on the left side. Right, and here's here's all i got to tell you about my Final Four real quick. If you look at the Sagrins, right, okay, mm -hmm. and you start with, okay, well, I'm going to go down the Sagrins, and I'm going to find out where, how off my Final Four looks. Number one, Gonzaga, no, I think the committee stacked the deck against him, so I crossed them out. Number two, Baylor, no, I think the committee stacked the deck against him, so I crossed them out. Number three, uh, Illinois, yeah, they're in my Final Four. Number four, Michigan, yeah, they're in my Final Four. Number five, Iowa, yeah, they're in my Final Four. Number six, oh, Houston. No, I think the committee stacked the deck against Houston. They're out. Number seven, Buckeyes. Yeah, they're in my final four. There yep. it is. I got four of the top seven teams. The three teams that I don't think the committee stacked the deck against. The same three teams, four teams, the four teams that I think have an advantage, haven't played here in the Dome the whole Big Ten tournament. So my logic path here isn't even that far off the realm of possibility in no, my mind. I think Michigan with Juwan Howard, final four, 
I hate them, and I love Garza, but I think they still get by them, and they're in the finals. I don't think the Buckeyes win the rematch. I think Illinois is too strong for the exact same reasons I thought Illinois would win the Big Ten tournament. I think Illinois wins the national championship game. I think they beat the Buckeyes. I think they beat Michigan. I think it's a Big Ten bonanza this year. And if it turns out that way, um, I'm going to win a lot of money and a lot of brackets. Rick. So, avenging 1989, right? Wasn't that the... Uh... I was thinking Glenn Rice and Nick Anderson. I surely was. That was on my mind as I put this in my head. Well, you not only it. that, I mean... And here's the thing, too. Illinois, not a, a basketball power consistently. Over the years, they sort of sporadically are. I'm going to throw something weird at you. 1989-2005-2021. Every 16 years, almost like the cicadas. <laughs> Illinois is almost the cicadas of college basketball. It's 16 years rather than 17 if they make it to the championship game. <laughs> Nick Anderson and Darren Williams couldn't get it done. Come on now, it's time. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. Darren Williams. And, and Illinois has a first and second team All-American. Take your pick who you want to ride there. Um, you know, they've got two really strong players. So. Well, and that's one of the things, too. It is one of the great mysteries, I, I think, and I've never really heard a good explanation uh, for it as far as, uh, you know, the, the collapse of DePaul as a national power, you know, in the 80s and whatever. I mean, the Chicago market for talent is so rich that you would think that one of the schools in and around there, and Illinois being a Big Ten school, would be a very, very obvious candidate. You know, you'd think that somebody would be a perennial powerhouse, and uh, Illinois, again, it, it's cyclical. Rick, Illinois is the team of the city of Chicago, I promise you that. Are they? I lived in, okay. I lived in Chicago back in 2005, if you recall, and it was unbelievable. Every bar was packed. It was unbelievable how many people were out for these Final Four games for Illinois. Really? Okay. Well, I mean, twice I went out during the tournament. And I remember the place was packed because everybody was there to root for Illinois. And the final four game, the first one, packed, wall to wall. People couldn't move. So many people there for those games when they played Carolina, couldn't move. So yeah, Illinois is the city of Chicago. It's not Northwestern City. It's it's nobody else's city other than the University of Illinois because the professionals that graduate from the University of Illinois, where do you think they go work? Yeah, in they Illinois, work in yeah. Chicago, Rick. All or Chicago. Right, nowhere else to go if you graduate from Illinois. You live in Chicago, work in Chicago. You're all Illinois fans. Well, that's true. That's true. So so maybe maybe this time around, maybe they are going to be a durable power because again, with with that talent pipeline coming through Chi Town, uh, that's something where you, you just wonder why nobody has been able to be a, a consistent, again, DePaul, like way back in the day, but I'm dating myself, right? I mean, I'm, I'm like get-off-my-lawn guy talking about when DePaul was big. But uh, anyways, uh, very interesting here. So you've got Illinois in the national championship game, but converting this look at it this time around, and uh, certainly that would be very, very consistent with Juwan Howard's experiences in the Final Four, losing in the national championship game, something he knows a lot about twice. Uh, I, I will say this, Rick. Sister Jean Schmidt may say, you know what? The Bible says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. So <laughs> he's got an, L, an All-American of the round. You, you never know. Wouldn't that be it? Very. Uh, bye-bye. I thought Gonzaga would go out in round two. Ha-ha. Joke's on me. Illinois goes out. Sister Jean said, uh-uh. So it'll be fun. It'll be interesting, that's for sure. It's going to be. It's going to be a tournament unlike any other. I'm glad they're at least able to pull it off this year. Uh, they did have COVID teams on reserve, four teams, Louisville and a couple others that were going to be sitting there in case anybody came up with a bunch of positive tests. That did not happen. The tournament will be at least starting 
uh, as anticipated, and hopefully this quasi-bubble scenario that they're going to have there is going to be able to ensure that we get through and we get all the games played. That would be excellent, but uh, what is always excellent, Nate, is having you on, getting the kind of breakdown. Nobody breaks down stuff hardcore better than you, my friend, and uh, so... Uh, for having turned your attention to the tournament here and uh, shared your wisdom with us. Uh, thank you so much for another great segment, buddy. Oh, I appreciate it, Rick. I'm not as good as you try to pitch me to be, but I do appreciate it. It's fun. It's just, it's a very enjoyable thing. I'm so glad we've got it back this year. It's a true travesty. It'll never be, you know, a black mark in history that we didn't get one last year, but at least we get it this year. Hopefully we get them all, and uh, you know, let's get this thing going. Exactly. I mean, it was just the worst-case scenario last year in terms of when the, the pandemic was starting to explode. Uh, March is always a very busy sports month in this country, and it just happened to catch everybody flat-footed having a once-in-a-century pandemic uh, sprout up, something that none of us had ever lived through uh, out there. Well, yeah, I won't say none of us, but uh, chances are anybody old enough to have experienced the last one, they're, they're probably not listening to podcasts, I'm guessing, in that, uh, in that age group. So when I say none of us, I think I am being accurate. So anyways, uh, as I say, once again, thanks a lot, uh, Nate. I look forward to our the next conversation here, and thank you everybody for tuning in for FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1335.